welcome to a new episode of Policy Implications Podcast, where policy meets research. I'm your host, Olga Zadorozhna from Kosminsky University, where I teach and do research in empirical economics. After a short winter break, I'm finally back with a new podcast episode. My guest today is Katarina Pedersen, who is a professor at the University of Helsinki. Katarina's main area of expertise is nationalist and radical right-wing political rhetoric, political hate speech, and political communication and persuasion. Today, we'll be discussing her recent paper called Allied Political Discourse on Refugees and Asylum Seekers, the Language of Social Exclusion, co-authored with Martha Augustinos. This paper studies an anti-immigration discourse of far-right and centrist politicians and discusses the effect it has on the general public and its perception of immigrants. So welcome, Katarina. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast and be discussing this research with you. But before we start our discussion of the paper, please tell us more about your research and how did you become interested in this topic? Thank you, um, first of all, for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here and, and talk about these not-so-happy topics. Um, yeah, so so it, my interest in these in these issues is uh, dates back to my study times when when I was um, studying social psychology and and became interested in intergroup relations and and uh, nationalism and 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 also the history of of intergroup hatred and and through this uh, I was then sort of caught into the uh, I got interested in the role of language in these processes. And how um, how how language uh, actually plays a very important role in the development and and um, and um, yeah in the in the development of intergroup relations and and how they can also also become very very um, bad. So that's that's how it all started and and then then at this. The rise of, of far right populism and, and nationalist movements throughout Europe some some ten years ago, then provided them <laughs> quite a natural means of studying these topics because it became such a such a timely topic in in many countries and both both societally and, and academically. So so that's how I started started working on political rhetoric and and hate speech as well. Great. And indeed, the language matters, as you said. And in your paper, you examine the anti-immigration discourse of politicians, different types of politicians. So why do you think it matters so much what they say? Does it affect the general perception of refugees and asylum seekers, the general public's perception, do you think? I think it does. I mean, um, uh, what uh, I mean, you can study study this from many angles and, and see see. Look from many perspectives on how how political communication matters in people's everyday lives, but uh, but what it at least does is that um, this uh, discourse, political discourse about immigration, about the nation, about us and them, it 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 creates these um, these identities, these common social identities for people. So so politicians have very much power in defining who who we are and who they are and and in creating this um this sense of of uh, togetherness which can be good but the sense of togetherness can also be used as a as a rhetorical tool to to um to defend us against them and in in extreme cases to to get rid of them uh, or exclude them because they are a threat to us and this is what what happens in in uh, anti-immigration political discourse or or hate speech against minorities um, and then then of course a very timely 
issue is uh, is the role of of the of social media and how uh, politicians now nowadays they reach far beyond uh, their their immediate followers or supporters they reach global transnational audiences and and their their rhetoric uh, spreads to many many levels of society through the social media and and through that then further so so it's um, it's indeed powerful Yes, it is powerful and it divides people, unfortunately. So how does the presence of this far-right hate speech online and also offline affect the general discourse? Does it shift it more to the right, being just, you know, so extreme? And could you please explain the mechanism behind it and how it happens in practice that this shift from, let's say, centrist rhetoric happens to be more, more right because of the hate speech online? Yes, well, this is something that has, uh, it's not a new phenomenon, unfortunately, it, it has happened before. And, and I think the, the, the troublesome, the most troublesome thing about it, and what make it, makes it so difficult is that, that this um, a change in the general discourse, in the general way that we, we in societies, we people talk about different groups of people, um, it happens very slowly. So this shift doesn't occur overnight. But it can occur, for example, if we if we would now look back at how we we ten or fifteen years ago uh, talked about minorities, talked about immigrants, asylum seekers, and refugees, we would see that that what we say today would not have been okay then, or what politicians say today would not have been okay. But this shift um, happens slowly, and and it's um, it goes unnoticed. But but when you look <laughs> look at this uh, this timeline, then you see that it does indeed happen and and it uh, i mean it, it, it's also you can say that it's sort of a, um, a threshold that needs to be <laughs> needs to be crossed that if if a statement has um has uh, been been uttered something really discri discriminatory hateful against a certain group of people and and perhaps at the moment um not accepted it could be condemned and, and frowned upon but still when when it has been said it then um, shifts the the general discourse it, it lowers the threshold for it happening another time and and I think this is what we have seen that the the, the discourse of, of uh, far-right movements for example it has become so influential due to their electoral support that it has started to affect the the political the general political discourse and also the general societal discourse Right. And what about the discourse on immigration coming from centrist politicians? Because they also have a lot of uh, things to say about that. So how do they portray refugees and asylum seekers and what connotation their rhetoric has? Do they contribute to the so-called normalization of more radical views? Yeah, this is a very, very interesting question. And, and of course, um, we always have to remember that that countries country contexts are different and and these um, these developments take different shape in different depending on the country but in in as a general uh, general response um, the so-called mainstream parties do have to respond in some way right they have to have to take a stance on on far-right discourse on on immigrants and asylum seekers and 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 refugees and so on so what do they do? Um, how do they how do they react to this? Because it's such a powerful discourse and it mobilizes us, the people, the national people. So they also have to do something so that they don't lose the voters. And and then what has happened in quite many countries 
uh, is that they have then started to adapt more moderate forms of this discourse. So they don't they don't use uh, explicit hate speech or explicit um, racist or racial claims, but uh, they can actually use uh, arguments about that. You know, we have to be rational. We have to think about uh, the good of of our nation, our country and our people, and we cannot let our welfare society collapse, for example, if too many people arrive. So they can use these kind of, of uh, logical, so to say, arguments and, and, and these, these kind of self-evident claims about maintaining democracy and maintaining a, a liberal society and, and defending the people. And they can also use uh, use the existence of far-right movements to, to do this. So they can say that, that in order to to fight against extremism and and um, and not not fall into this um, this kind of polar polarizing discourse, we must now make sure that we take care of ourselves, so to say. So so uh, yeah, and and this is um, this is something that that uh, has become a general pattern that we see that the far right discourse and the the centrist more centrist discourse is is um, getting closer to each other because they are they are nowadays in many countries they are equally powerful movements so we should be careful when we hear the centrist politicians saying that uh, okay so we are rational and we need to take care of our economy so we cannot let in more people from outside because this is also a hidden a hidden um, racism maybe and also the hidden message of we against them right Yes, and uh, and the controversial issue is that that these claims about about human rights and and tolerance and and liberalism and democracy they can be used to actually uh, do the opposite when it comes to certain groups of people. If you use these arguments as a, as something that belongs to us and we have to make care uh, make sure that that these are taken care of for for, for our part, then somebody is, is excluded. Yes, exactly. This exclusion. This is what happens basically when we do this, uh, you know, online or offline, saying things like that. Indeed, this is very important. I think what you are saying. All right. So in your other paper on hate speech against Muslims, you discuss the boundaries between hate speech and freedom of speech. And a lot of people try to cover their racism and misogyny behind the freedom of speech free card, basically. So where is this boundary? Where does the freedom of speech ends? And the hate speech begins. I wish I could answer that question. Um, unfortunately, what makes it so difficult, this whole whole really politicized debate between freedom of speech and hate speech, is that there is no clear cut boundary between them. It always is context dependent and uh, national legislation and, and also international definitions uh, vary. So, so it's very difficult to give give a straightforward answer to that where where to draw the boundary but um but i think um it is extremely important especially when it comes to when we talk about um, hate speech and political hate speech in particular there are always power relations involved so so usually the hate hatred is directed from somebody at the top to somebody at the bottom when we talk about um, societal um, in the group relations, so from a, the hate speech of a powerful politician, or what what a powerful politician says about uh, some fairly vulnerable minority, such as 
as refugees or, or asylum seekers or religious minorities, um, that that uh, is that becomes troublesome quite quickly because because this powerful politician has the has the means to to actually mobilize people against these these groups of people. So actually incite to 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 hatred and and even violence. So I think there is um, there is a big risk, and these cases should always be investigated very properly. At the same time, as of course, also politicians enjoy freedom of speech, and they should be allowed to talk about also difficult things. Uh, I mean, immigration and these these questions they are hotly debated things, and they they do pose challenges for societies. And this is something that needs to be debated, but uh, but it has to be done uh, with still um, with still. Uh, respecting the dignity of of human beings and of of groups of people yes so yeah and, and with responsibility as well because power is also responsibility uh before voters before you know people uh, of your nation of your country including the minority groups yes and what you said also about about uh, concealing hate speech is that's also a very big problem right it can be concealed behind the argument that this was I just used my free speech I, I used my demo, democratic right uh, and also it can be concealed behind humor often often it's um, excused through the argument that I was only joking and it's, this is this concerns both both hatred against ethnic and religious minorities and also hatred against for example women Yes, that's true. I've seen a lot of stories uh, about politicians actually saying that, yes, it was a joke and I didn't mean it, but then you said yeah. it and there is responsibility for your words. That's that's so true. So yeah. we should be we should be careful about that as as consumers of information, I guess, and uh, consume this information with a grain of salt and try to analyze. So what's actually, you know, in those words, in those statements? Yes, and that's not not too easy to do. Yes, it is not. But what are the main policy implications of your research? So what tools do we have to fight against this far-right hate speech or just hate speech? And how can we de decrease polarization and make sure our societies are more tolerant towards immigrants and other minority groups? Yeah, well, this is, of course, the, maybe the most important question. And I think um, that there are there are the answer is that there are many things should be done and not legislation is is one thing perhaps the key thing and and um and very 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 important but but it doesn't i think uh it's it's not in itself enough because we have for example seen that politicians famous politicians who are who are prosecuted for hate speech they don't necessarily suffer from this at all in a political sense uh, and their their rhetoric doesn't change, um, but it can be actually quite the opposite that they can use these these uh, sentences that they have gotten as a sort of martyr label that that you know I am still going to defend my country and my people no matter how many many uh, times I am prosecuted. So legislation is, is in itself is is very important. It's it's important that it keeps up to date also in the online context when it comes to online hate speech. But in itself, it's it's um, uh, not enough because uh, it, it, it demands uh, efforts from the whole of society. So, for media, for example, have a big responsibility in how they report about these issues, uh, whose whose views are taken into consideration, and and how here again power relations are are important. And then I think um, 
uh, another aspect, what you just just tapped into was also that that we need to think about the long term, the, the preventive work. So how to keep up a dialogue between different uh, different um, levels of society, so between politicians and and decision makers on one hand, and then grassroots movements and 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 um, ordinary people on the other. So it's in order to 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 prevent polarization, it's important that people feel that they are heard and and their needs are taken into into consideration and and um, and taken seriously because otherwise these these needs and worries they they turn into frustration and and hatred and and even radicalization. So so I think this this long term thinking about these issues and how to deal with them is important. And and in terms of that, it's also I think education i think schools and and young people children in general and and how to to prepare them for this world where, where you where you face hate speech if you if you go online which everybody does how to prepare them for this and how to help them become literate when it comes to detecting it and and how to seek help and so on i think there are many many levels at which we have to respond to this challenge Yes, for sure. And I think the uh, these methods that you talked about, they are very important and um, they are they re they are really in need to be implemented. And I think uh, things are going forward with this implementation because uh, I can see that things are a bit different when it comes, for example, to education. And we have lots of uh, different kinds of literature for young adults, for children that explains, you know, what is racism and uh, what is hate speech, what is bullying, and how to um, to to behave when you you encounter these things so things are are moving but do you think they are moving slow or maybe they are at the right pace um i think i am i, am, I agree with you that they are moving and i think that that we um that that's the that's the most important thing and that we should make sure that it's that it stays like this i think it uh, that we it's it's challenging because because the the involvement and the the transformations also of the of the social media and how how they can be used and and for what ends it's it's um, it changes so rapidly that I don't I think we there's a fear that that we become too comfortable just because we have reacted we have to keep reacting so so I'm I think but but it's important to stay optimistic and I really want to want to do that I think it's also necessary. <laughs> Yes, I think so too. And I am optimistic. And I think, you know, even having these discussions uh, that we are having, they are so important because uh, the listeners, our listeners will also uh, talk about these issues and maybe discuss what we are saying and maybe contribute to this discussion. And then because we are talking and the society is talking, then the society also improves as a result it goes from you know not talking about these issues not not meeting those issues to to kind of like you know thinking about them and discussing them so hopefully the next uh, the next time we meet or discuss these issues um we will be on a different completely different level of understanding and the discussion and maybe there will not be that much hate speech online anymore let's hope i, I agree with you a discussion to keep it keep it up is important and and we i mean these these um trends tend to go as trends they tend to go to go up and down historically so we can hope that we are now going to towards better times 
Exactly. Thank you very much, Katrina, for an interesting discussion. And yes, let's stay optimistic. Yes, thank you. Thank you.